Well, good morning. It is really good to be here. Uh, a great privilege just to be able to um, share with you guys um, amazing series. And um, as Nate said, I'm, I'm going to be speaking on finances and flourishing in your finances. So as soon as we get onto the subject of money, um, in fact, you might want to close the exit doors just to like this. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> You know, whenever Jesus spoke about money, he spoke about it in a way that was really encouraging. Um, emphatic, but encouraging. And um, he spoke about it in a way that would lead us into a greater fullness, lead us into a flourishing in every aspect of our lives. So I, I trust that this is um, what you'll experience today. If, if I had to find a a verse um, that would basically be a verse that explains flourishing in your finances. It would be 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. It's, um, I've just got a handful of slides, so this is not one of them, so listen up. Um, but it says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Who is that true for? Maybe two or three hands. <laughs> Just so you know, if it was me, I wouldn't be putting my hand up. Um, because, I mean, that, that's, that's huge. Um, he is able, it says God is able to bless you. It doesn't say he will. I feel like I'm losing my, there we go. It says he is able to bless you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you could abound in every good work. I mean, we, we are like confronted with needs and opportunity for good work all the time, but to at all times, in all things, having everything that I need, I can still just sow into wherever there's a need. And, and I can be a part of a, an advancing reality of God's kingdom in a way where there's just a complete flow ongoingly, and I've got everything I need as well. So the fact that it, it says God is able is, is quite key, yeah, because it's linked to the so that. We, we just want God to bless us. But there's a so that, so that you could abound in every good work. I mean, when he said to Abraham, I will bless you, it was like, so that you could be a blessing to others. So there's, there's a definite um, link there to how what we receive from God plays out in our lives. And, and when, when we get that, the more we get that, the more we experience that blessing. And as soon as we stop the so that, well then, don't be surprised if the blessing kind of dries up as well. I mean, God is so gracious. He blesses us with what we need, irrespective. He looks after us. Sometimes we, could, we can go through lean times, but it's, it's not this like conditional thing. It's, a, it's an invitation. And so the framework of this morning that I want to look at, it's four biblical principles for financial flourishing. The first is stand with your hand in your hand. 
Then I'm going to look at bring back what's being borrowed, sow in squares and reap in circles, and lastly, give what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. That's the framework. So let's see how far we get with that. Um, the early church, they responded to God's prompting and his call in so many different ways, and it's recorded in so many different ways, but I haven't really come across too many of those accounts where money is even a conversation. It's not like they, they would say, oh, we have money, so we will go. They just went. I think it was part of how Jesus led his apostles. It's kind of like they didn't have anything. They just went. And, and there was just provision, like on a daily basis. I mean, it comes back to the Lord's prayers, like, give us this day. We're not going beyond that. Like, we don't have to worry about tomorrow. That's yours. We're just going to... And so the early church is an incredible model for us um, that, that it's not like because we have money, we can do things. No, it's because God said that we do things. And if money becomes a thing that holds us back, well, then we've got to ask questions around how obedient are we? How faithful are we to the promptings of God? Because he doesn't always give us the money up front because then how would it be faith? And it's like you've got to take the step and then he'll, he'll provide. That's just how he works. So um, interesting dynamic. But um, we're very quick to, to say, Lord, I give you my heart. We sang it. You, know, you reign over our hearts. You know, who remembers that song? Lord, I give you my heart. That one? Yeah? I wonder what we would say if God to say back, yeah, give me your wallet and, and everyone will know. That, that you truly have given your heart. So it's, it's a quite a confronting thing, and I can already feel the tense um, <laughs> atmosphere building in the room, so if, if this is my last, let me make it count. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so stand with your hand in your hand. Jesus um, talks about treasure in this amazing way. He says, don't, don't store, up for your treasure, store up for yourself treasures on, on earth because you're going to lose it, yeah? Um, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Um, it comes across in, in quite a, you know, depending on how you read it, but don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Do store up for yourself treasures on earth. But it, like if we read it, with the tone of like seeing Jesus as our friend, as our older brother, you know, if I had to like say, hey guys, I've got some inside information. There's two shares on the JSE. They, they both cost 10 Rand a share. Share A, 10 Rand. Share B, 10 Rand. But here's the, here's the intel. By the end of the year, share A is going to go from 10 Rand to 100,000. So however many shares you buy of share A, it's going to go from 10 to 100,000. Share B is going to go from 10 rand to one cent. So if I was your friend, I would be saying, don't buy share B. Share A is the one you want to buy. Like, buy share A. So can you hear in, in that the heart of a friend? Like, that's actually what Jesus is saying. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. You're going to lose it all. 
It's like moths are going to eat it, rusts are going to take it, like thieves are going to come and steal. But like when you leave this earth, you're not taking it with you. So like hear it as the heart of a friend, heart of a savior who's, who's coming to you and saying, don't do that, do the other one. Like you've got two options here. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where nothing will come of it. Like the, nothing will happen to it. It would, would never be taken away from you. You'd never lose it. Whatever you store up here, yeah, well, and so he's appealing to our minds. Um, he goes on to be concerned about our hearts. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You're not just the order. It's like where your treasure goes, there your heart goes after that. So now if, if you wonder, like, I wonder why I don't have a heart for mission. I can tell you why. Because you're not sowing into mission. Like if you want a heart for mission, sow into it. If you want a heart for the things of God, sow into it. Because where your treasure goes, there your heart will also go. So Jesus is appealing to our minds, but he's also very concerned about our hearts. He's saying, like, be careful where your treasure goes, because there your heart will go as well. So if your treasure goes into like a self-gratifying, I want the biggest house and the biggest car and the biggest of everything, and I want to look after myself, and I want to make sure that everything's okay with me, well, then your heart is going to be there. Not going to be outward, it'll be inward. So he's being incredibly helpful in what he's saying. Um, and then he leads us in our will, which is where we come to verse 24 of Matthew 6, and it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You've got to love it when Jesus is emphatic. You can't have two masters, like, just one. Yeah, but Lord, what if, no, you can only have one. Can't have two. And then it says, you cannot serve God and mammon. So the choice is not whether you will serve, but who. You will serve. You will worship. We've been designed for that. The question is, who? What did you say? <laughs> yeah. Relax. So put your hands out like this. Face everyone. There we go. So when money <laughs> did someone just say hallelujah? <laughs> Can I get a praise Jesus? <laughs> you see, with every rand that touches your hand, something happens. So, like we think money, it's not just a piece of paper, I get that. It has value, you can trade with it. But yeah, or yeah in my hands, or yeah in this envelope, as far as Robin's concerned, it just has value. It doesn't yet have a power. Can I tell you when it has a power? Is when it goes there. Every time it lands in your hand, it attracts a spirit. This is why Jesus spoke about money so often. Because he understood 
the very thing that we would struggle with the most as far as truly being free, truly flourishing in God. And so with every rand that touches your hand, it attracts something. Now this can be a spirit of greed or a spirit of generosity. This could be a spirit of ownership or it could be a spirit of stewardship. This could be something that we are saying, hey, this is all mine. You need bigger hands. <laughs> or this is actually God's that he is giving me access to for some sense of disposal and distribution and stewardship. Doesn't mean I can't spend any of it on my own, but it's like it's the heart. Like what spirit is it actually attracting? Thanks for neatening it out. That's just helpful. So what spirit is it actually attracting? This is the question. Money in itself is not bad. What makes it good or bad is the spirit that it attracts. And one of the things that's difficult with money is the more that gets put in your hand, the harder it gets. You know, people who say, I don't have enough money, so I can't be generous. No, you're actually in a better position. Because with every rand that touches your hand, it's attracting a spirit. And if it's attracting the wrong spirit, if you can't be generous when you've got little, don't think you're going to be generous when you've got much. You got enough. <laughs> so, here's what we've got to know. This is not bad. In fact, it can be good. But it's all about where the authority lies. Mammon is when this lands in our hands and the power of it does that. But with the spirit of God and the spirit of generosity, it stays like that. So it's still landing in her hands, but there's an openness to say, wherever you want this to go, God, your authority rests over whatever's in my hands. It's not mine. It's just mine to steward. And so the spirit that it attracts is what makes it either something that glorifies God or it becomes mammon that enslaves you and keeps you. So the words that Nate was using, is, I mean, it, it sounds hectic, bondage, but 100% true because that thing can keep you. It can hold you. When you allow the wrong spirit to be attracted when rands land in your hands, chances are you're going to fall. But if you let it attract the right spirit, you can stand. And God's word to us is that we should stand. We should stand in a way that is strengthened by his empowering, that he keeps us. We walk a road of faithfulness with perseverance and holding that line. But by it's, it's his upholding. It's his strengthening. His authority over our finances. Cool. You can go. Off you go.
It says in 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. God doesn't want you to wander from the faith. And that's not just talking about your salvation as far as coming to faith. It's like there's a faith journey for us to walk. And he wants us to walk it by faith, standing. If you start loving money in a way where your hands start to close and it becomes an inward thing, a self-gratifying thing, it's attracting the wrong spirit, there's an authority over there that's not an authority of God. The authority of mammon is over it. His word is cautioning us. Cautioning. Don't let it attract the wrong spirit. Hands must stay open. Have you ever wondered where your strength lies when it comes to your hands? Try to open my hand. If it's a fist, not so easy, eh? <laughs> Now put your hands on either side of my hand, as in like close it. Top and bottom. Now I'm going to try and open my hand, but now you've got to hold it tight, huh? It's not happening. <laughs> See, the strength is in this action, not that. This is where the strength lies. It's like a crocodile bite. The jaws go down and it can go through bones. You just put a tape around its mouth. It can't. You see, because it's attracting the wrong spirit. When it attracts the wrong spirit and mammon is ruling over your finances, then this is what happens. And then we think, okay, well, now we must be prudent. Now we've got to like brace ourselves because things are tight, so we, we become more like this. It's not the solution. It's that. And we need a supernatural enabling that allows that to happen. See, that's where you start to experience freedom. Bring back what's been borrowed. I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's, I mean, most of these things are preach on its own, but the first place that we get to exercise the prioritizing of God in our finances is in the area of tithing. So tithing is the first tenth of all our increase. It's like a simple definition. Um, but I prefer it to like 10% of salary. It's like the first tenth of all of your, whether it's interest that you earn or, so like, don't throw me with no, that's law. It's all about where the priority of God is. So tithing is how you express the prioritization of who God is in your life. And the first fruit is a, is a beautiful thing and I don't think we fully understand it. Um, as far as you know, the lives that we live. But if you, if you know something about farming, Ollie will know. It's like first fruit, this is what happened a few years ago. One, one of the people in our church is an apple farmer, so he phoned me in the week. We had the celebration happening on the Sunday, and he said he, he's got his first fruits, and he would like to bring it on Sunday. I, I'm like, in my mind, saying, okay, he's talking first fruits, but what he actually means is the sale of his first fruit of apples and the proceeds of that he would like to bring on Sunday. And through the conversation, I then realized, no, he actually wants to bring his apples. 
You know, it's like the, the wrong way to think about it would be, but what are we meant to do with apples? But I felt like in praying about it, like God just said to me, chew on it. <laughs> so I found Derek back, I said, bring your first fruits. And I mean, we had boxes and boxes and boxes of apples, like up against the wall. And I just said to everyone, everyone must take a box and chew on it for the rest of this week. But you know, there's something that happens. There's a mysterious reality to obedience to God. There's, There's like a breaking through. And man, we need to live our lives in a way where we see more and more of these things happening where we actually walk in faith. He just felt like God say, your first fruits must go to cedars. Which is biblical, but it's like in the context of apples. What are we doing with apples? We're going to have apple pie for days. But you know what? It's like it, it broke something. We had deposits coming in with the reference just being first fruits, first fruits, first fruits. It released something in people. You don't have to like... Figure out what God's trying to do. Just do what he asks you to do. And you know how difficult it is for a farmer to bring their first fruits? Because that's the only fruit they've harvested. You bring your first fruit, you can, after you've brought it, have some form of, you know, hectic weather, hail, and you lose the rest of your harvest. You know, those who earn a salary, it's a lot easier. Like, here's my income, I can like portion it, 10% there, 90%, I'll live off the rest, brilliant. But when you bring your first fruit, you don't know that the 90 is still coming. Like in this context, what God's actually asking of them, it's huge. But I learned it because I've got a friend who's a farmer. And, and he taught me that by his obedience. And it released something in people's hearts. So... God uses the word bring. In Malachi, he, he talks about the fact that they're robbing him. They're like, how are we robbing you? He's like, with, with tithing, you, you're robbing me. It's like, ooh. Um, I don't want to rob God. But he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You know, he doesn't say give, give, give your tithe. He says, just bring it. You can't, you can't give your tithe because it doesn't belong to you. If, if Nate had to um, loan a trailer to me because I'm going away for a weekend and I come back with the trailer and then like through the course of the week, out of the goodness of my heart, I phone him up and I say, hey, Nate, I've been thinking about this trailer. I'd like to give it to you. <laughs> What's he going to say? Dude, just like stop the nonsense. Just bring my trailer back. <laughs> Don't give it, bring it. That's exactly what God's saying. Don't give your tithe, bring it. It's mine. I mean, we, we read about it in Leviticus. Um, if I can find it. The tithe belongs to the Lord. It is holy unto the Lord. And yeah, he's saying, you're robbing me. Because that's mine. And, and you have the, the beautiful dignity and privilege, and, and I give you that dignity to bring it. I don't force it upon you, but just know that's mine. 
And if you don't bring it, you rob me. You know, when you start to see it in that context, then it's like, man, whatever increase I have, you know, let me, let me not get legalistic about it, but at the same time, let me not get so laxed about it. It's like, oh, God won't mind. No, there, there's something of a robbing that's happening. It's got quieter. He says, test me in this. Prove me. You know what? It's the only place in the Bible where God says, prove me in it. Test me in it. It's like you don't test God apart from you. Test me. Test me in this. What God's saying is, you look after my house, I'll look after yours. I want to say to some of these young faces, you might be studying now. From your very first salary, get this right. Because much like the whole concept of the bigger the amount that lands in your hands, the harder it is to make that shift, just honor God with your finances. I'm 48. I was born at night, it just wasn't last night. I have seen the faithfulness of God over my finances. I've never been rich. Well, let me say, I've never been wealthy, but I've always been rich. You see, you can either say, I'll handle the 100%, and you attract the spirit of mammon over your 100%, or you can say, I'm gonna prioritize God and bring what is his, and attract the spirit of God over my 90%. Like, that's the decision around tithing. You, you, you either have the spirit of God over your 90% or you have the spirit of mammon over your 100%. How do you think we're going to be doing as far as the blessing of God, as far as his authority over your finances? And you know what? When we don't get it right, he's still gracious. It's not like you, you, you're getting a punishment for it. But like he gives us the dignity to bring it. He allows us to prioritize him. And I think we need to be emphatic about this. We, you know, we've we got to make big decisions based on the conviction of God. And I know it might be hard for some. And I know people would go to, yeah, oh, but you've quoted scripture out of the Old Testament. We're not under law. No, we're not under law. But tithing came in 400 years before the law. You can read about it in Genesis with, with the priest Melchizedek and Abraham and how Abraham had this incredible victory and Melchizedek brought out the symbols of um, the story of redemption. He brought out bread and wine. And, and Abraham's response to him was he gave a tenth of everything he owned. He talks about Isaac doing it as well. This is before the law. It's kind of like well, Abraham did it, so obviously he did it in a way where his sons understood this as well. Goes all the way through into the New Testament. I mean, Jesus is talking about like the Pharisees and how they um, legalistic in their ways, and they just do things as tick boxes, and you know they they tithe, and but like, what about just being radically generous? And he says to them, you should do the the latter without neglecting the former. 
If there was ever a time for Jesus to say, the tithe is not important, it was in that moment. But he didn't say, you should just be generous. Just be open-handed, be radically generous. Don't worry about the tithe. He said, no, you, you should be doing the latter without neglecting the former. Then it goes all the way into Hebrews. This amazing text where we, we see this um, kind of comparison between old priests and this new priest, the, this Melchizedek, who is Jesus. And, and it's kind of putting the two covenants up against one another. And in um, verse 8 of Hebrews 7, it says, in the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die. That's speaking about the Levitical priests. But in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. So our great high priest, who is alive, who is present tense, living, still collects his tithe. The ESV says, the tenth is collected by one of whom it is testified that he lives. So we're not talking about a better covenant. Surely it should bring about a better response. We're not going to say, oh, the tithe is not important, it's part of the law, we just want to be generous. I'll tell you now, if you had that attitude, your generosity is probably less than your tithe overall. We need to make decisions and we need to allow God to work in our hearts so that the conviction that rests brings about something of a decision which is like, we must be resolute in these things. Like not, not wishy-washy, not like, ah, oh, I'll, I'll gradually work my way to it. You know, if, if, you, if you're convicted about the fact that it's bad to be robbing a bank, you don't stop gradually. You know what I mean? It's like, you either decide, like, hey, this is wrong, I shouldn't be doing this, um, so let me stop robbing the bank. And if God says, you rob me by not bringing what's mine, and gradually trying to find your way back, just do it and trust him. It will track the authority of God over your finances. He'll look after you. And it's not like formula. It's not like, oh, if I do this, everything's going to fall into place. In some cases, it won't. And, and God sometimes allows us things to just authenticate our faith. Otherwise, we do it because, ah, oh, formula, brilliant. Now my life is better. No, we do it because it's right. We do it because he says so. We do it because it's holy unto him. And so we bring what's his. We bring back what's borrowed. I'm really not doing well with time, so. So in squares and reaping circles. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. We're going to look at verse 9, but before that, it talks about sowing sparingly. Those who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly, and those who sow generously will also reap generously. I mean, that's the economy of heaven. It's how it works in heaven. So your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's like we need to know something of the rhythms of heaven. The economy of God, how he works, is like this. 
Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he tells us how we have to give. You give intentionally, you give willingly, and you give joyfully. And then our verse that we started with, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so then all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Then it says, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. That's talking about an open-handedness. What we were talking about a little bit earlier. So is your, is, your, is your hand open? Are you standing with your hand in your hand? And is your hand open? Freely scatters. What it says there, with their righteousness enduring forever, there's the key. Because if it's in my strength, my strength is to close my hand. There's a supernatural strength that's needed for this hand to open. And it's an eternal righteousness strength. And we have been given the righteousness of Christ that will last for all eternity. And that power, that power that is at work in us, is the power that allows this hand to open up. Even if it's scary at times. Like your emotions don't just get parked somewhere. Like, that's why it's faith. Like, it, it requires something of us, but supernatural. Opens our hands. And um, I think when, when people say, oh, well, I can't be generous because we're not talking a, a, over and above tithing, right? So I can't be generous because I just don't have the resource for it. You don't lack generosity because of a lack of resource. You lack generosity because of a lack of revelation. It's exactly the, the story that was covered earlier of the lady who had very little. And, and Jesus is watching. And, and, and he calls her a generous person. Like there's a radical generosity. That, like, she's given more than anyone. Which is kind of like it's not by virtue of how much you give. It's by virtue of how much you give relative to what's still left behind. She gave everything. It's like she's given a few coins, but in Jesus' eyes, she's given everything. And um, there's this amazing text in, in uh, Leviticus 23 where it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very corners of your field. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. You see, that's God's heart. So what is it that God's saying here? Another farming analogy. Let's say this is your piece of land. And so you sow according to the dimensions of your piece of land. And God's saying there, when you reap, leave the corners. So you sow in squares and you reap in circles. When you do that, there are corners that I have access to. Where good works start to flow where people who are in need can see something of my goodness. God's saying, like, I've given you access to my love. I've given you access to the blessing of salvation. I've given you access to an eternal destiny with me. The question I have for you is, will you give me access to your corners? And, I mean, I've done the, the maths on this one. It doesn't really matter the dimensions. It always works out to the same thing. Because the area of a square 
minus the area of a circle, what's the area of a square? How do you work that out? Length and breadth, yeah? And a, and a circle? Pi r squared, yeah. No, pi r round. But in this case, it's squared. What it translates to, the corners adds up to 20%. 21%, just short of 21%. Doesn't matter how big it is, it's like, that's what it works out to. How interesting. <laughs> we, we have a, a, like a financial approach to our finances in Cedars in a way that would probably frustrate many people um, because we don't have financial meetings, we don't do budgets, and I don't think that that's reckless. We meet once a month, myself and our accountant that looks at our finances. I generally ask one thing, she tells me a few other things. But all I want to know is what percentage of what's come in have we given. And I'd love for it to be more than 20%. I'm doing that in the finances of the church. I'm trying to do that within the finances of my own personal finances. So sometimes we have, we have success in these things, other times we struggle a little bit more. And somehow the finances of the church for me is way easier to see as it's all God's. <laughs> so whatever he says, we're just gonna do. But my own finances is also all his. Like the tenth belongs to him, but everything else is still his. And if I could just get that revelation, if I can just not be bound by the fact that, whoa, how are we going to cover our bills? And every time I've done it, every time there's been an open-handedness where by his eternal righteousness that supernaturally works in us, my hand has been open. I've never been able to outgive him. You can't outgive God. You just can't. I had this thing where on more than one occasion I heard um, 10 times 10 or 10 tens. I was like, what the heck? And then I heard it a third time. And I was, so I said, to, I said to God, Lord, is this something that you, you're impressing on my heart as far as it's like 10 tens? And I just felt in God it was right. So like over the course of the last month, we've endeavored to give 10,000 rand Ten different people but now I'm like Lord you tell me who and and as the month has flowed it's like then this person pops up and then that thing gets said and God's just connected all those dots now we don't have that kind of surplus as far as month to month is concerned so we can't really afford it would be like how most people would view that right but I just felt in God it was right. So we have done nine of the 10, and instead of our balance going down by 90,000, it's gone up by 200. So our balance now is 200 more than the start of the month, of last month. You can't outgive him. You just can't. <laughs> you just want to be obedient. You just want to open my hands. Open-handed, right spirit comes in, the authority of God rests upon our finances, and all of a sudden we start to see something of his supernatural flow. Now again, not a formula, it's faith. 
So don't go and give 10,000 rand away 10 times because the answer is going to be 200 increase in your balance. That's not how God works. He's not boxed in. So it's not a formula. It's a walking by faith. I need to close because my time is up. Okay, let me see if I can do the last one very quickly. Give what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. So Jesus is telling this incredible parable where it's like this rich man that's storing things. You know, it's like, in fact, he's building bigger barns. I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can store all of my harvest. And the whole intent of it is I want to be able to like, get to a point where I can just take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry are the words that Jesus uses of this guy. So um, that's, I mean, quite an apt description, I think, um, of m- many people and how people think about their finances as far as, like, what's the goal? What are we working towards? No, we are working towards this one point in my life where I can take my foot off the pedal and I can just enjoy it, man. Like, retire and just be comfortable. The problem is when you get to that point, you are so tired that you fast asleep with every boat trip that you go on that you can't even enjoy it. And like Jesus uses this word, um, he's telling the parable and, and in verse 20 he says, but God said to him, you fool. That's quite a thing to hear God say. I mean, when I... There's only one sentence I want to hear when I stand before God, and that's well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear anything else. But to hear you fool. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible, guys. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So like what Jesus is trying to show us here is there's a brevity of life. Like what's the point? You're storing up for what? You could die tonight. And then, you fool. It's quite a, it's quite a thing. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Like that's the alternative. You're either rich towards God or you're accumulating for self. It, <laughs> I'm so glad it's in the Bible that I'm not actually just making this stuff up <laughs> because it's sobering, right? I mean, you, you think of like a game of Monopoly. Who's played Monopoly? Yeah? It's weird because when you play the game, it's like that is real life. (laughs) Have you noticed that? I mean, the the level of emotion would suggest (laughs) we have lost all sense of what happens outside of this new game of life. And, and, And it's all about acquisition, accumulation. And you have emotions of 
elation when money's coming in and despair when money's going out. And so like, this is, this is the, the, the monopoly two-hour life that we are living. And you know, when the game is done, it all goes back in the box. And if you take that and you draw it as an analogy of eternal life, eternity, there isn't, like, you can see I don't have the words to describe this. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'd have no less days to sing God's praise than when we had first begun. What an incredible description of what eternity is. So we are living for eternity, or we should be. God's intent is not to give us an easy life. His intent is to give us an eternal life, everlasting life. And when we start to understand that, we start to make sense of when stuff happens in our lives that's not great, and it kind of like taps into the ease of my life. God is not committed to the ease of this life. He is committed to your everlasting life. And he will allow things to happen in such a way that it molds and shapes us and draws us closer to him. So it's for our good. But when we understand there's a brevity to this life and there's an eternity to that life, and we are to live for that life, not this life. You see, the flourishing of your finances only happens when your finances reach into eternity. Until it's for temporal benefit, they won't be flourishing. You might be a little bit more wealthy than your next door neighbor, but, but you'll be bound. You'll be like this. There's no flourishing in that. There's no freedom in that. Freedom in your finances doesn't come at a point where you are independent. So that's certainly not how Christianity is described in the Bible. Maturing as a Christian is becoming more dependent becoming more independent, resting in God, trusting Him. And this bound feeling is what happens when we play Monopoly because we're like stuck in this game. And it's like, oh, elation, despair, and then everything goes back in the box. And I think something, this life in relation to eternity, it's like we accumulate an elation and despair, and at the end of it, the game doesn't go back in the box. You go back in the box. Like... We could like there's no I've never seen a hearse with a trailer. Like when you come to the end of your life, you you're taking nothing with you. Do you realize that? That's all of what Jesus is saying. Don't store up for yourself treasures. Yeah. You can send it ahead. Because when you do that, you'll never lose it. But when it's a temporal thing and it's a self-gratification thing, you're drawing the wrong spirit and you'll never be able to hold on to it. There will come a time in your life where you'll have to let it go because you can't take it with you. Amen. Let's stand. I really 
feel that it, today is a day of decision. It, it's a day of, of, you know, God speaking to hearts. It's a word that is confronting. I know it. It's confronted me. But I want to I really encourage you. I want to charge you. Make decisions for God. Be rich towards Him. Take His word. Take Him for His word. Trust Him in this. And, and be emphatic about it. Don't try and ease your way into this. Just, just take what God has laid upon your heart today and make decisions based on that. And then live by it. It's like the decision as to whether your, your son must play rugby or soccer. And the way you do that is you put a ball down on the ground. And if your son goes up to the ball and picks the ball up and runs with it, it's rugby. But if your son goes and kicks the ball, it's fly half. <laughs> so you understand what I mean when I say emphatic? Be emphatic about this. There is only one sport that you can play, my boy. <laughs> Rugby. I would never thought I would get an amen for that. <laughs> and from a lady, that was brilliant. Yeah, there you go. You know, when you do that, because word talks about a, an increase. I can just find it. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You see, when you live like this, God does this. He increases your seed. He increases the reach of your harvest. Why? Because he knows he's got access to the corners. And you could even live differently where you don't even have to up your standard of living. You can just up the standard of giving. This is how we want to live, guys. This is how you flourish in your finances. I want to pray for us. And I want to pray that today would be a day of decision to allow God to show himself in our finances and that we would truly find freedom. So Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you, God, for this amazing invitation. Thank you, Jesus, that your words to us is words that come as a friend, as a, an eternal friend that loves us more than we would ever know. And I want to thank you that your words are true and that it is helpful for us. And Lord, we don't want to miss out on what you have for us. We don't want to be caught up with the temporal pull of this life, the brevity of this life. We want to be caught up with the heavenly reality of eternal life with you. 
And I pray, God, that you would help us as a people to have a deep revelation of finances and your heart towards it and that everything belongs to you. And we have this incredible opportunity to live a life of complete trust and adventure of allowing you to lead us as our hands stay open and with every rand that touches our hand that would attract the right spirit of generosity and stewardship. And with that, we would see an abounding taking place in and through our lives. That you would be willing to bless us in a way that we could be a blessing to others. Father, this morning, we want that so that to be in our lives. So that we could be abounding in every good work. I thank you, Father, that we've been placed in this town with a very specific purpose in mind, with people that is waiting on the other side of our obedience. And I pray, Lord, that you would release your spirit upon this church and that finances would flow. I pray, Lord, that hands would be open, hearts would be open, and that you would do a miraculous work in each of us. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us in this and bring us into a greater fullness where we will truly flourish in our finances. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.